Avi on Money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It's 9 minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. And it's great to be back in studio. I know I was here last week, but I've done a lot of traveling. So it's very nice just to be here, to be settled, and to uh, just have a clear vision going forward of, of time that I'm not going to be out the country. I know a lot of people are panicking. A lot of people are uptight simply because Pesach is around the corner. And that tends to get everybody in a frenzy. But it's going to come whether we are frenzied or not. And it's just a matter about how you handle it. But the people that are involved with the backbone of Pesach, the budgeting, the buying, the getting it together, the organizing the meals, are the Akerasabais, the, 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 the foundation, the crown of the house at the same time. And that's the ladies. And what I'm finding in my practice more and more and more is that, number one, ladies share an absolutely equal platform with men um, in the family unit when it comes to financial planning, when it comes to decision making, it's no longer the husband goes to work and the woman stays at home and he has your allocated budget and off you go. But it's, it's an absolute partnership. And in a lot of cases, it's a little bit skewed where the lady might be the good breadwinner, might earn a little bit more. But ultimately, what we are finding or we find in South Africa is that when the chips are down and the husband or the man disappears, the lady's left carrying the can. She's got the children, she's got herself, she's got the retirement to look, up, look at. And I just think it, it's, it's pertinent and it's important that we actually spend a little bit of time today, or not a little bit, to the show today, to discuss ladies in financial planning, ladies in building their own wealth. And I'm very happy to have Christelle Lowe, who's advisory partner and director at Bale Capital, in the studio. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Harvey. Thanks. Hello, listeners. How was that introduction? Beautiful. Thanks for that. You've done very well. <laughs> Great. Um, I know I shouldn't be saying this on air, but you don't look too comfortable. I'm going to sort out your chair just mm. now. But let's jump straight into it. There was a, a press release or a media release, as they call these day, these days, called Expert Tips for Women to Keep Financial Goals on Track. Just what I take from that is that am I reading into that that plans are made, everything's put in place, and yet they derail from time to time? What often happens is that women get so involved in family, in friends, in ensuring that the marriage works, that they actually lose out on doing financial planning and actually losing focus on finances and leaving it up to, to their husbands or partners or spouses to actually sort out. And then they're not involved and they lose track of what the financial goal should be for women. You know, you just remind me of a story and I was in Kalani Mall this morning and I remember walking into it was First National Bank. And seeing somebody that I, I grew up with, someone I knew very well who had recently been divorced, standing with a slip of paper and the tears are flowing. I thought, shame, you know, it's raw. She just got divorced. Mm. And I went up to her, I said, how are you doing? And uh, in quite firm terms, she said to me, I've just got divorced. I don't even know how to fill in a deposit slip. And I looked at her, I said, he did everything. I, I, I was never, I didn't know, I didn't need to know how to do these things. And now, just you know, deposit is such a simple thing, but someone needs to show mm. you, or you need to have the confidence to go out there and do it. But when you've been excluded from that type of transaction, all of a sudden, when it's brought upon you, it's a bit harsh. Oh, you know what we find that so often when we deal with women, especially if they lost their husbands and suddenly they left, you know, with the finances and the family finances to manage, and they have no idea what the difference is between rental income 
dividend income and interest income. And suddenly they're confronted with tax returns, financial statements, and I mean the fear and the angst that they have, you know, in completing their returns and ensuring that they can trust someone and to ensure that they, that they actually stay on track because they were spoiled. They were spoiled by having a husband looking after their affairs. The, the scary thing is that women tend to live 10 years longer than men. Correct. Now, that's a big problem. Because you have to be involved to ensure that you know what's happening in the family finances and to ensure that you both stay on track. And it should be a communication and a, and a partnership between you and your husband. You know, and the family must be involved. They must actually know what is happening. Um, and we actually say start from a young age. You know, when you get married, that's where the conversation starts. It can even start before that, you know, when you get engaged. And to make some rules for the family and set, you know, goals for the family and then, of course, to revisit that. You know, one thing that I've found um, and I've had experience with is that I call it continental economics. Um, and let me explain what I mean. There in the 60s, 70s, you had a whole lot of continental people come to South Africa. Greeks, Italian, Portuguese spoke with very thick accents, yet they built financial empires. But yet when you spoke to them, there was a humility and there was a simplicity in the way things were done. And then you two go and speak to people who think they're slightly more sophisticated. And all they've already done is have built a house of cards that's complicated and overly complicated. So when that time comes, when that person is no longer there, on the person who was maybe looked at as a little bit less sophisticated, everything's neat and tidy and simple, and you're able to continue with it. Whereas the people who think they're sophisticated often create such headaches that when they pass away, there's no cash flow, things are tied up. The wealth is there, but it doesn't flow. Now, is it not important that in those cases that there's just the simplicity is brought into and things aren't overcomplicated so that when a person does pass away, you know, first of all, the time, the money, the angst, as you said, to unravel that is just excluded. I so agree with you. And it's actually so simple to become financially independent. Um, it starts with spending less than what you're earning. If you listen to Warren Buffett, he says, S- start saving first before you spend. Don't spend first and then see what's left in your bank account and then save a few rand. And often it's about the boring things. People you know, think it's very boring to invest in a retirement annuity. Very boring to actually start investing in a tax-free saving plan. But that is really where it starts, putting away some income and putting away some of your earnings to ensure that they're sufficiently provided for, for when you need it. Crystal, let's, let's start at the very beginning. Um, let's create a scenario where we've got a young couple getting married, the lady's a physio, and let's make the husband a chartered accountant. Mm. So all of a sudden you've got the finance man <coughs> and the, the, the very astute lady, but not really involved in the business world. And mm-hmm. or the finances, and they come to you. The husband might be slightly overbearing because he he, he really knows his stuff, and he does. Um, and then the wife calls you the next day and says, "Crystal, I'd like to make an appointment to come and see you by myself." What advice would you give her? You described the scenario very well. Thank you for that <laughs> one, <laughs> Avi. What we look at is we actually like to deal with couples, you know, not you know, not individuals, because it is, it's a family family union. Um, what's important is to start off and understand how you married. You know, are you married in community of property, 
out of community of property or with accrual, because that will make a very big difference to how you plan your finances. So we've got the luxury on this show that we can actually break that down, because mm. I'm sure there are a lot of people driving and thinking, well, I think I went to the lawyer, I signed something, and I keep mm. getting told that, no, no, we're separate, but let us go through those three regimes, yeah. in community, out of community, and accrual quickly. What is the difference between in and out of community? In community means that you actually own all assets combinedly and you've got dual signing powers on, on the assets and making decisions. It also means that your income is split for the purpose of tax returns. If you manage marriage out of community of property, it means that you, you own your individual assets in your own right. It also means that if there's a divorce or death, that you only end up with your own assets. There may be some softening of of income or there may be some arrangement, but mostly you're actually on your own. So you have to make sure that you build a financial profile by yourself. Doesn't accrual help with that? Accrual is great. That is where you actually, you can separate assets when you get married and you can decide, you know, what you own in your own right. But from the day you get married, you actually have combined assets. So you build it together, which is quite a healthy way to do it. So in this scenario that I painted, Mm. if the lady then starts a family and Mm. stops practicing, Husband goes on to do very, very well, mm. and the marriage, you know, uh, disintegrates after ten years. He then turns around to his sister, but you've done nothing. You've contributed. You con- you've contributed nothing financially to this family. <laughs> and I, I, so I, uh, I was going to say, oh, stop Ooh. there, stop there. <laughs> okay, so let's stop there. Yeah. Okay, so in that scenario, mm. I, I can just picture him pointing at her and saying, mm. "You've done nothing. You stayed at home and you drank coffee, and I went mm. and built the, the, the empire." And you look at him mm. and say, "What?" The good thing is that you're sharing these assets, number one, because that's according to the accrual regime. The second thing is the contribution of a person staying at home, whether it's the husband or the wife. And these days we actually find quite a lot of husbands staying at home as well. is actually a respected role, and that is what should be discussed up front. You know, often when we meet young couples, they say, you know, we've decided um, that I'm going to work as a professionally qualified actuary or chartered accountant or attorney. And they've decided that the woman, the wife, is going to work, you know, for a whole career. But they'll be quite flexible around the the working hours and also build an infrastructure to support her and him. And I think that's the discussions that we often neglect. You know, we talk about plenty of other things. What house are we going to buy? What car are we going to drive? You know, our friends, our family. But we don't talk about how we're going to share the family finances and who's responsible for what. And that decision of staying at home is a great decision, but you have to decide what happens to the family finances. We're running out of time just before we go to Avis. I'm going to ask you one thing, and I've seen this a lot in religious communities, mm. whether it's Jewish, whether it's Christian, and I think it's quite cultural also, is that the religious leader, whether it's the pastor or, or the domini or whatever it is, encourages clients or young couples yeah. to get married in community because that's the real sharing. You, you're going to share your mm. life together, therefore you share your finance. And I often look at them and say, that is ill-advised. I agree with the first part. Yes, let him take care or she take care Mm. of the religious side of things. But if you want to protect your your marriage, you get married out of community. You can add the accrual, of course. But in community, Mm. just is very onerous from a financial point of view. I agree, especially these days where we find a lot of entrepreneurs. And if you're married in community of property, then you're both in for the debt that's built up and the the risk, the business risk. And, I mean, that's dangerous because it means you're not protected unless you put a specific structure in place. Well, let's take a quick break. I see the SMS line is hotting up. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. 
Avi on Money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. In studio with me is Crystal Lowe, who's advisory partner at Citadel and a director at Bayhill Capital. And we're discussing financial planning specifically for women, but I think we're building the scenario of a young couple getting married and empowering both people within that relationship so that there's, number one, I think, a consensus and understanding. Um, Crystal, something that I often say to to people when they come and see me and they, they say to me, well, I, I know nothing about financial stuff and I'm an absolute idiot and I'm a total moron and no, 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 no. I say that's, that's funny because uh, the last time I checked, you were a specialist doctor. Yeah, I've been, I know every vein in the body, but I don't know how to count two rand. I said, because your focus has been physiology. It hasn't been finance. But maybe on the way home, instead of listening to music or to whatever, listen to the financial show. You're bright. Pick up on things. Um, When you've got an opportunity, pick up one or two motivational books or books written by business people. Not that you'll become a Donald Trump, not as a president, as a businessman, but you need to be a fay because ultimately this is what we do. So with a young couple, even though the lady in this scenario might not be involved, her hmm. input is often has an intuition to it because she understands the family dynamic. That's so true. And I actually want to go back to the financial education. There's a book that's recently been produced, um, Warren Buffett, Invest Like a Goal. Um, obviously, if a Warren Buffett didn't like write it, G O A L, like a girl, like a girl, that's right. Invest like a girl, and it's very interesting because what they say there is, there's absolute stereotypes when it comes to females and investing, and people actually immediately tag on and think this is exactly how it is. I think that stereotype and the mold has been broken. But here's a few things they say. They say females are more conservative. They say females lack confidence when it comes to investing. Um, they don't make finances a priority. And I think that's for obvious reasons because she's involved with the family. She's got her business career. She ensures the family stays together. Um, and, I mean, she cares for, for other more than herself, and we find that quite often. You know, she doesn't look after her own finances because she dishes everything out. Um, and then, you know, females don't have an understanding of finances. Now, I find that in dealing with young couples specifically, the females are absolutely on it. They're quite well educated when it comes to finance, and they, they show a very keen interest to get involved. And I think it's also what's happened over you know the past 30 years plus, where young females saw that perhaps their mom got divorced, or their mom, mom battled. You know, when she got divorced, and she had not a cent on her name, and suddenly, you know, as a young female in a profession, she needs to support her family. Um, and that has brought brought us to the point where, if we see young couples, there's certain rules we put in place to make finances a priority. And the first thing is to discuss it, to ensure that there's agreement between husband and wife on what they want down the line. So you sketch... I I need to stop you there. You use the word rules. Mm. And, you know, one thing in in, in education that is so important is boundaries. Mm. Boundaries create confidence. Confidence creates a lack of anxiety. Because a child understands exactly where they must play between. That's an important rule, a word. It's a hard word that may be words we don't like to use in financial planning, but it just res- resonated with me because all of a sudden if the couple comes in and they know that there's certain rules in other areas of the marriage, there's rules with finances also. And once they know the rules, they know the mm. rules of engagement and they can go forward. Well, then you know what? Finances creates a lot of conflict between husband and wives. Um, 
often there's fights about spending on children, spending on, on clothing, on hairdressers, on beauty. But if you put rules in place, then you can actually work within that rules. You can actually, you've got discretion within, within, a certain, within certain parameters. And I think that's important. And also, just to c- carry on with that thought, you know, in a way that maybe talks to the fact that the lady's mm. spending and he's earning and he can't control her spend, it's often the other way around. Like, why mm. don't you just make a sandwich? I'll make you sandwiches, but stop eating out every day. Number one, it's not good for your health. And number two, it's costing a fortune. Mm. But there's also no understanding of what the actual total expenses are for the house. Like, husband, what is this two and a half, three, five grand that keeps going off? Oh, no, don't worry about it. In the meantime, it's a credit card that she doesn't know about. Mm. And, you know, once everything's out in the open and dealt with, then, then it's easier to just navigate your way through yeah. because you've got a roadmap. Now, we keep it so simple. So what we do is we say, sketch the whole, sketch your lifestyle, what you'd like to have. And perhaps, perhaps it's that beautiful property, perhaps it's big sport cars that you want, perhaps it's kids that's educated internationally. But the whole profile is actually sketched. And then we go back and say, okay, how are we going to get there? Is it realistic? Will we be able to achieve that with the two professional incomes that you're generating? And keep in mind that the increases in, in income for youngsters or, you know, young, young professionals is much higher than someone that's been in a business for the, for the past 20 years. So for past 20 years, you may actually project at a 6% increase that is plus minus inflation. But for youngsters, it can be like at 15, a 20% jump in salary. So we create the profile and we go back and say, is this realistic? Will you be able to achieve this? And if that's the case, it gets to, will the female or the wife be able to discontinue her work or does she have to continue her job? And what does that mean? Do you have to put certain certain rules in place or guidance, you know, in, in place to ensure that, that she's comfortable working and generating the income? So we go back to that, that uncontrolled spending or to the spending where you don't know where the four or five thousand rand has gone to. It is important to draw up a household budget. And I've seen that professionals have a household, you know, savings account whereby each of them will contribute, say, 10 or 15,000 rand into the savings account. And that will go towards um, domestic help, will go towards rates and taxes, you know, household ins- insurance. And then there's two separate accounts, you know, for, for spending. So I've seen that before. I've seen one single bank account, um, although these days that's not so popular. There's rather a single plan when it comes to saving. You know, it's interesting you say that because um, the first time I saw that, it was a bit of a, a strange enigma to mm. me because it's not the way that, you know, th- there's one family, there's one budget, there's one pot of money, and it must mm. go from there. And then all of a sudden, no, I pay for this, and he pays for that, and she pays for that. And my mind was like, well, how the hell is mm. this going to work? But it does. It absolutely yeah. does work. And it's really no right or wrong way. It's what suits that particular couple and how they and how they they work together. So long as it, mm. the budget is there and the expenses are, are are kept. And I think it's important, you know, for for young professionals. And I mean, I actually speech and 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 and, and preach that for my clients is this: it's very important to have a budget. But it's very important to also have spending money that you can actually spend on luxuries, to actually enjoy a fantastic family holiday, to go on fantastic trips, um, to travel internationally, to actually further educate yourself, and to make sure there's provision for that as well, because that keeps you going. It's, it's the machine. It's the only machine that you have, so ensure that you look after it. I'm thinking, I just can picture people listening to us and thinking, I wish, I, I, I wish, 
between medical mm. aid, rates and taxes, and school fees, mm. my budget's gone. And, you know, I think that's the reality of the majority of middle-class South Africans. Our rates and taxes have gone, uh, they're just out of control. Private education mm. is unaffordable if you have more than one child. Medical aid, if you are on classic comprehensive with three children, you're looking at twelve, thirteen thousand rand j- just there, that, that, and that's net. Mm. So, I think that's the crisis that a lot of people are grappling with: is that the budget doesn't balance. It's it's there, and those things have to be paid, but there's not often the cash flow to match it, mm. and that's where I feel the communication is crucial, because if the wife feels in our scenario, that she's actually not being told the whole story and things aren't as rosy as they are portrayed and yet there's just this festering um, disease called debt that's building up. Eventually it's going to explode and that's going to be far more difficult to deal with than coming up front and saying, we're earning 30, we're spending 42, where's this 12 coming from? You, it's definitely debt, but if you know about it together, yeah. at, at least you, you're sharing the burden. And you share the responsibility to yes. actually manage that. Now, we find certain professions, and you're also in the financial industry, so we find certain professions, people from certain professionals, professions, find it very difficult to, to budget and to stick to a financial plan. And That's it's often people in the financial industry. They, they like to give advice, but they don't want to take advice. And because of that, they often find themselves qualifying then immediately the wife, that's often qualified as an actuary or a medical doctor, a beautiful profession, stops working. They move into an estate. Big vehicles are purchased. Kids go to private schools. And suddenly the husband is now captured. <laughs> it's a person that, that's actually so stuck when it comes to finances because he spoilt his family. After a few years, his friends also think that the budget is quite wide and quite broad. And you're really getting into terrible trouble you know, financially, to actually get out of that because you, 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 you can't actually say to your family, we can't do this anymore. What embarrassment is it now suddenly to actually say, but I have to take my kids out of private school. That, so one has to be very careful. And that's why it's important to stay, start so young and make that rules and rather be extremely conservative and not to keep up with the Joneses for, you know, from day one. What we find is often... That rules that you've applied, and we use the word rules, which is actually quite a negative connotation, but it's parameters. Correct. The parameters within you actually operate. Um, often if that, that's applied during your 30s and into your 40s, when you're in your 50s, you've actually outsmarted most of your peer group because you've been quite tight on your, on your, and strict on your finances, and you've been relatively conservative, and suddenly there's big promotions and increases and you actually managed to really, really do well. Then you've saved a lot and secured your, you, yourself That's financially. That's where the gap comes in because you've got a gap between the greater increase mm-hmm. in income and yet your expenses. It's not like you're catching up with your expenses. That's right. You're mm-hmm. way ahead mm-hmm. of them. Uh, just two things. Many years ago, I was on Classic FM. I don't know if I can mention another radio station here. And I forget his name. But yeah. The company's called Kruger International. And he, I think he's Niklas Kruger. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And we almost had a debate on radio because I had younger kids at that stage. And he was saying, you need to discuss your finances around the dinner table. Your Mm. kids need to know what you earn. They need to know what the family expenses are. And I was like going to panic. There's no ways I was going to share that with my children. And he says, kids need to appreciate. They can't have this because it doesn't add up. Mm. There's the spreadsheet. It doesn't work. And as a 
father, my feeling was my children need to be sheltered from that. They, mm. But yet when I came home and discussed with my wife, she sort of found the compromise and said, there's no way so our kids are going to know what we earn and they don't need to carry the anxiety of what the expenses are. But they need to appreciate that there's a finite amount of money. And not going on a holiday one year because we just can't afford it is not an embarrassment. It's a reality and other things will happen. And I said sort of that's mm. where the, the balance comes in. But being honest, but I don't think you need to, you know, put the family jewels on the table. Yeah, I think it's important to for kids to actually see how their parents are managing the, the, their finances and how they're spending. It's great for kids to see that mom and dad's budgeting and that there's like a certain amount of funds available to spend. And also they, they've got huge appreciation for that because what we find is then they can control their emotions. And finance is, is very closely related to emotions. You know, the fear of losing out, the greed of being on the joyride and it's going so well it can never go, 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 go bad. And then the delayed gratification. I think that is the most important thing. And that's what we're finding now in a world where everything's instant, instant SMS, instant WhatsApp that you're sending, that everything must be instant. No one wants to wait to purchase a car, even if it's just a good car to actually drive around with. You want it immediately. And then what happens is you burden yourself with high financing cost. You pay substantially more. And you could have actually driven that initial car just one or two years more, saved up a little bit, and actually saved a lot of money, enough to go take the family on a great family holiday. And that's so true. I was recently sitting with somebody who um, you know, is very involved in our, up in the particular mm-hmm. you know, in our Jewish community, and um, we were sitting on the same board, and it just came up about a particular event that was happening. And I'm not privy to the names or the finances. Mm-hmm. I'm simply simply as an advisory. And this lady turned around and said to me, if you saw the names on the list for subsidies, you would fall off your chair. So I looked at her. Mm-hmm. And said, she said, no, no, I'm being serious. There are people on that list that you think are incredibly comfortable. And they come mm-hmm. across as confident. But they're on that list, which means they've come to us and said they cannot afford you know, to be involved in this, but they'd like to pay it off or whatever mm. it is. And it just dawned on me that it must be, it is, because, you know, we all live in some sort of competitive environment. Very, very difficult to continuously show face and live up to a particular expectation when you actually just can't do it. You, you're just not there. And very few people have enough, you know, enough confidence to put their pride in their back pocket and say, mm. We're just not doing this, or we're not doing that, and to go forward. That is so true, Avi. You know what? And it, we, it brings us to another topic, and it's not about females and finance now. Now it's about, you know, happiness. What creates happiness? And often people think things create happiness. A bigger car, a bigger home, um, to have prestige, you know, to, to, to actually feed the ego. And it's worrisome, because if you're on that track, it's very hard to, to keep up. Um, happiness should lie way deeper. And I think that comes with, you know, that initial discussion that you have with your spouse where we say this is what we want from a, you know, from our marriage. This is how we see our finances. We want a happy family. And therefore we're going to sacrifice certain things because we want to ensure that the family stays together. And if the happiness lies within the, the environment where the female takes on the breadwinner role, 
then that should be discussed. And it, it's not only a once-off discussion, of course, because there's lots of friction. I mean, everyone that's, that, that's married will know there's lots of friction, you know, on, on, on a weekly, on a daily basis to ensure that you stay on track and you, see, you, you, you have that discussions and it doesn't have to stay the same. It can move, but it, as, as long as you're in agreement that this is working for the family. Before we go to the break, I, I just simply, simply want to say that, Christelle, your clients are obviously lucky and hopefully your business will continue to grow because what you've just said now is that financial planning is crucial, but we're not planning for robots. We're planning mm. for human beings and we need to be in tune with the person or the people sitting in front of us. We need to try to step into their shoes need to try to understand what's going through their minds. They need to take us into their confidence, and we need to honor that confidence. But if we don't have that premise, then it's almost exactly the same plan for everybody because you need to retire, you need to have medical aid, da-da-da-da. Mm. But once you bring that human element in, and you know that for this family, they're prepared to have holes in their shoes so long as their children are properly educated, then that's the way we go. Whereas this family, you might find that for the husband to drive a car that is not of a certain class makes him incredibly insecure. That mm. then needs to be... So it's almost having the psycho psychology behind the financial planning. And the reason I'm mentioning it is that when you list talking to your financial planner and you get the sense that they're not in tune with you, they're not listening to you, you you're not getting that feeling where this is being personalized for me then go and find someone else. You would do it with the doctor. If the doctor was just flippant or you felt was uncaring or, you know, when you really want to discuss an intimate detail, the doctor was insensitive, you would move on. Do the same thing with your financial planner. The person needs to be in touch and have the empathy to understand what's going on and then put the two together. Am I correct? Absolutely agree with you. That's correct. true. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be back in a moment. Avi on money. 12 to 1 p.m. Only on 101.9 Chai FM. Welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM. It's 20 minutes to 1. In the studio with me is Christelle Lowe, who's advisory partner at Citadel and a director at Bayhill Capital. We sort of got sidetracked, which is the beauty of the show. But let's come back and, you know, in your press release, what you've done is you've broken down financial planning for ladies or for women in their 20s and their 30s, then their 40s mm -hmm. and their 50s. And then 60s and beyond. So let's go through that slowly um, in the next 10 minutes and work out what happens in each segment. Good. Let's start with the 20s to 30s. That's usually when you start your career and when you actually have your first job. Important then is to actually look at your own financial goals. You know, where do you want to end? Start with the end in mind and then you work to, towards the, the beginning. Um, important is draw up a budget. Um, my daughter just started to work and I was surprised to see how interested she was in drawing up her own budget and to see, you know, what's going to work and what not and what funds does she have left to actually spend on some, some social events. So draw up the budget. I think that's healthy because there's certain fixed costs, like what you mentioned, Avi, like the rates and taxes, the medical aid, perhaps some insurance, um, although that should be limited if you don't have any debt. You know, at a young age, often you find that professionals um, get absorbed by the insurance industry and they get very large um, Premiums, they pay large premiums for, for, for risk cover, and that's not always necessary. You know, to actually rather take it step by step and then revisit that. So that's between 30, 20 and 30. 
Um, communicate with your partner. If you don't have a partner, make sure you stay on track. Um, and then draw up a will. If you have assets, make sure you, that you draw up a will. Look at your pension contributions if you're working for a company. Make sure that you've got beneficiaries that's, that's listed. And yes, and then you know, plan your life moving forward and also think of the next step. So just to interject there now, and I know I wanted to let you run, but just when it comes to wills, if I can just add one or two things in there briefly. Um, when it comes to wills, it seems to be the fashion these days. Where can I get it done the cheapest? You wouldn't do that in any other sphere of your life. This is the only thing that's going to stand and talk for you when you are unable to do it. So cheap is not always good, mm. but you can get it done for free at certain banks. But a will only doesn't only discuss financial matters. I often ask couples, if I'm not certain, if there's a different religion in the family. I know it's one Catholic, one's Protestant, is one Hindu and one Muslim. And if that's the case, to put it down... And then when I mention that, they'll both sometimes turn around and say to me, we are both part of the Rhema Church, but we both come from a Dutch Reformed family. Mm. We want a Rhema service if something should happen to us. Put that in your will. Use your will as a mouthpiece to express what you want. The person who's drafting it will hopefully have a little bit of, uh, be, be savvy and be have the expertise. Mm. And I'll say to you, look, I think you're getting a bit carried away. But... Make sure that you use your will as that which will speak for you when you're not there. You know, you might want to write a list afterwards. You might mm. write a letter or write a poem. Or I don't know what else you want to do. But don't leave your partner in the horrible position of, I'm not quite sure what he or she wanted. Or, I don't know what to do with all this jewelry. Or, well, I don't really want to sell the house. I'm happy to stay here. Can't mm. we just do something else? So discuss those things up front. It might be painful. Discuss uh, trustees of, of your trust, if you have one, your testamentary trust. Discuss your guardians and discuss your executors. And they might be totally different people. You know, your brother might be a brilliant accountant. Mm. Make him executor. Um, your parents might be still be active and young and great with the kids. Make them the guardians. So discuss mm. it with people. Sorry to have sidetracked you, but I just think it's always important to just re-emphasize that. Oh, I so agree, because so many times we found that families in a very distressed time are so unhappy about certain clauses in the will. It doesn't relate to the financials. It's not about the finances, who earns or who, who receives what or who inherits what. It's more about the burial or cremation or organ donation or living will that you put in a in a, in a will and it is something that you should discuss and you have to take it seriously and I fully agree with you. It is a document where you can actually express and it assists the people that that, that love you and that that's close to you. And I know I'm digressing once mm. again, but at organ donation, um this is High FM, it's a Jewish radio station. Um there are certain limitations on organ donation um as a Jewish person. Please I implore you to be in touch with the based in Give them the call. There is um, Jewish organ donation, and there's a card that you can carry in your wallet. Um, if you're not worried about that or you're not Jewish and you are an organ donor, please make sure that that card is in you, on your wallet, is, is available because, God forbid, push comes to shove. If that card can be found on time or that information can be found on time and you are an organ donor, the amount of good that you can do is phenomenal. It's an incredible legacy to leave. But if you don't have the card on you, how's the paramedic meant to know what to do? That's impossible. The opportunity will pass. Absolutely. 
Avi, now we work, we, we're moving on to the 40s. You know, if you're in your 40s and you're a female... Um, I'm not sure. Those good years. That's fantastic years. Because what you usually... Okay, I wish you were on TV because the smile on your face <laughs> really... You know, you, you, you were enthusiastic when you said it, but your facial expression was, yes, there are good. And I'm hearing mm. it so often from ladies in the 40s that the 40s are just great years. I think perhaps the 30s, you know, when you have your first career and you have young children, it's hard. You know, it's hard to actually, you know, balance family, balance career. But in your 40s, I think you've achieved quite a bit, you know, if you're still in your career. Um, salary has probably increased by then. But then it's very important, if your salary increases, that you don't increase your lifestyle accordingly, that you remain quite humble and keep it simple, like what you've said, because finances should be simple. You can complicate it, you can create structures, and you can try and become very smart with finances, but it's not, it's not high finance. It's basically you're complicating your life. So what we say is what's important then is your savings should increase, you know, with your increased income, where you contributed between, say, 10 and 15%, 10 is perhaps low, 15%, you know, in the 30s. You should definitely increase it now to between 20 and 25%. The good place to start is the boring stuff that I said, you know, the retirement annuities, the tax-free savings. But now you can start venturing into, into other avenues. And if you've done what you said and, you know, kept up with some financial literature, um, listen to some of the financial programs, then by then... You may have the desire to have a share portfolio of your own where you can actually start earning a passive dividend income from the portfolio. So that's why I think it starts becoming quite exciting when you've you know, accumulated some capital. And your bonuses and your long-term share options um, and your share options can go towards the investment pool as opposed to funding lifestyle. I think lifestyle should be funded with salaries, not with your, your hard-earned you know, capital that you've accumulated. And also, there's so much help out there today. Um, mm. If you go to a stockbroker who says, yeah, I won't deal with you unless you've got a million rand, and there's many mm. of them out there, there are also many who will look after you with 50,000 rand. You might get a different level mm. of service, um, but you can also do it yourself. Um, do your research, do your homework, and um, also bear in mind that if you are going to open a stock portfolio, you've got to have guts. And if you haven't got guts, mm. then please don't do it. You know, if, if you're going to lose money in the interim, then that's, not, then that's saving, not investing in your mind. And mm. rather go to money market account where you just get a, a compounding interest mm. and, and you're happy to go from there. Um, investments that females are often quite comfortable with is the money market accounts. And often we find clients with millions of rands in, in money market accounts. Now, if you're 40 and you have millions in a money market account, perhaps you should reconsider. Why? Because you're paying a substantial amount of tax on an investment where you're not even beating inflation at a very young age. Why is it important to beat inflation? If, so I'm, getting, if I'm getting compounded, if you're, we're mm-hmm. talking about compound interest and da-da-da. Why is inflation so important in this scenario? Mm-hmm. It's important because you've actually worked so hard. You know, to, to, to gather the funds together, to actually accumulate that. It's important to actually at least perform at inflation because you won't be able to keep up with your expenses if you don't keep up with inflation and in your investments and to keep the real value of the money. In my career as financial advisor, I have probably only met, say, one or two individuals that can afford to only have an interest-bearing account 
to fund the expenses. There's often a big requirement to have growth investments, and it's more tax efficient. I mean, taxes become quite a quite a big aspect, you know, in our planning. And if you can actually make, say, a eight or a nine or a ten or a fifteen percent on a growth investment, given that you take the volatility and the movements up and down, and you can stomach the volatility, then you can actually double your funds within a five-year term. But if you go beyond that, it's going to take you, say, seven to ten years to even get close to it. And after tax, you can actually add another few years to it. So you have to be careful when it comes to big savings accounts. I absolutely agree with you. If it's sheltered in a retirement investment, like a retirement annuity where there's no tax or a preservation fund or a pension fund, and your risk profile is of such a nature that you don't want to take risk by all means, because at least you will outperform inflation in that vehicle, even in your tax-free savings. But at that age, it's necessary to have some growth investments. It's a whole discussion for another time, but basically what you're saying, if I've got a retirement annuity, I can put a less volatile fund. I can allocate a less volatile fund. So I can have Mm. a money market type of fund within a retirement annuity. That's absolutely true. And then what the benefit of that is, that you'll be earning uh, the full rate of that money market. Let's say it's 7.5% or 8.6%. You'll earn that full rate in your investment without taking risk because it's not taxable in the fund. So that's a great return. So that's the place to park your, your cash and your stable investments. A portfolio will consist of, of stable investments and more volatile investments. You just have to make sure that it's positioned correctly. Crystal, guess what's happened? We're running out of time. Yes, and we're only in our 40s. Well, that's a great age. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great age to be. Um, I don't want to rush mm-hmm. through it, but let's try and go through... Let's maybe consolidate on the 40s and then maybe leave the 50s and the 60s for for another time. Is the 40s the time to sort of start looking as to retirement or or that should have been done from day one? What's your focus in the 40s? I think 40s, you have to be centered again. You have to focus. You have to revisit. I think it's great to revisit the financial strategy, at least the big financial strategy, the big picture and the roadmap every 10 years, but every year. You need to actually see if you're on track. So 40s is a good time to really build capital. It's a great, powerful, you know, age to do that. And I think your risk profile is such a, a nature that you can stomach, you know, growth investments. So a share portfolio or the ETF portfolio, the passive portfolio, the unit trust portfolios, that's a great age to accumulate. You know, one thing I often hear, well, it's just too late. Hmm. If you're saying that in your 40s, I think the one thing that's not understood is that mortality has become a different animal. Um, People are living a lot longer, they're a lot less healthy, and they're living more expensively. Mm. So it's never too late to start putting money away. I think the only time I'd caution people is if they're in their Mm. 60s or late 50s and they want to start using a retirement annuity as a means Mm. to retire, all of a sudden you're putting money into a compulsory vehicle that might not be able to give you the returns you need at the end simply because of the limitations of it. Harvey, at age 40, when you have extra funds available that you didn't have in the 30s, it's a great time to actually invest in property because that can create a beautiful passive income down the line. You probably still have 20 years left, you know, to pay off the bond. If you have a bond on that property, you can let the property so you can have tenants in that property. It will come with some homework because you'll have to, you know, 
ensure that the property is kept kept in a good con, you know good state. And a lot of people don't want to do that and rather just invest in a share portfolio. But it's a great vehicle to gear, and you can use that gearing to invest in further investments. What I'm hearing you say is that retirement is not a single pronged approach. Mm. It's about having multiple cash flow items to help mm. to fund that, each with its different nature, each with its different quirks, so that you almost guaranteed a, a constant flow of income through the highs and the lows. Interest rates mm. are low, doesn't mean that your, in, your rental is going to drop. Your rental will increase every year regardless, etc. Avi, I want to talk about something else just before we go on to that. Absolutely. And there's, you know, international research has shown that females earn about 80% of what males earn in the same profession. And in your 40s, there's a very good way of making up, you know, for that, for that 20% that you're not earning. For a start, females will have to work a little bit longer than males. They say 10 years to make up that difference. But in your 40s, if you actually attend to your education and to your profession, and to the industry that you're in, you can actually make that, because that can bridge the gap. And I think in your 40s, you've got the ability to do that. And you're still flexible enough, and, and you can still move around. It's just interesting to hear it coming from your perspective. And, mm. you know, someone's had many, many years of experience with with people, and especially mm. with ladies. Um, just to come back to you know, if, if I had to go for a job interview and a lady with the same age, same qualification went for the interview, is there a 20% difference in salary? International research has shown there's a 20% difference in salary. In different countries, it can be higher. And the most interesting thing that I found is that research has shown that in the construction industry, it's not a 20% difference. It's more in par. But financial services um, and other, other industries, you find that there is a difference in salary. They also say that the higher you're qualified, the less of a gap you have. Um, and then the younger you are, that's why I say the 40s is actually a, a good age. During that age, you can actually make up the gap. We find that that woman that's aged 55, 60, 65, you know, they can't make up the gap anymore. It's um, it's a new generation. The horse has bolted, so to speak. That's right, you know, yes. Christelle, unfortunately out of time, but I, I do need a, a public commitment from you that you will come back. I will ask Michelle mm. to please set it up because we need to go through the 50s and the 60s. And I'm not saying that flippantly because mm. I think the, this is very important. The show is podcast. It's played again two or three times during the week. And I'm sure that I'm going to get a lot of communication from this. I'll be honest with you, I haven't been checking the SMS line. This, this has been so engaging. But thank you for coming in. If somebody wants to be in touch with you, how do they get hold of you? Avi, the best way to get hold of me is to phone Citadel. Um, and the number is 011-722-7600. Right. So you phone Citadel. It's part of the Peregrine Group. And they can speak to you directly. They can speak to me directly. Fantastic. First. Thank you so much for coming in. Um, I usually say at this point what we're going to be doing next week, but I actually don't know this week what we're going to be doing next week. So I will uh, um, let the producers know during the week. But, um, Christelle, thank you for coming in. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be in touch with you shortly.